Well, we're talking about generosity. We're talking about generosity over the next few Sundays. And I decided, <laughs> excuse me, I decided I would give this uh, sermon a title that would make you wonder what in the world is this about? Other than the fact that you all know I love donuts, amen? And somebody said on Facebook yesterday they were going to bring me fried chicken and donuts. I will have died and gone to heaven if that ever happens. Can you imagine some Bojangles and then right beside it some Krispy Kreme? <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Uh, and an and a old fat man's best friend is elastic. <laughs> elastic in Jesus is our best friend. <laughs> and the people said... Amen. Glory to God. All right. Um, here is the book that I based the title of the sermon series on. There's a little story in this book I'm going to read to you in just a minute. Jeff Anderson wrote this book. He talks about uh, the acceptable gift. What is an acceptable gift? The Bible talks about an acceptable gift. So I hope you will pick this book up. We have it in the Resource Center. We hope you will pick it up. We hope you will read it. Let God speak to your heart about generosity. Let's read this little story, and um, you all pray for me as I read it. I want it to make sense to you as I'm going through here. Get all cleared up here. It's another thing. Old people have a big problem with that, too. Autumn Joy, that was, uh, that's Jeff's daughter's name. Autumn Joy toddled across the room and stood at the edge of my laptop-centered view. I was in task mode typing away in my living room recliner. When I read that, I thought, is this guy my twin brother? When Shirley Temple, with Shirley Temple curls bouncing around her face, my 18-month-old daughter looked up at me, and I looked at her. Then she handed me a plastic donut from her kitchen playset. I looked at the donut back at her again. She was waiting for a response from her father. So I put the donut up to my mouth and said with great animation, yum, 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 thank you, Autumn. This is so good. Then something beautiful happened. Her big brown eyes widened and her lips pushed a giant smile against her puffy cheeks. She stood up on her heels, shrugged her shoulders to her ears, and let out a high-pitched squeal. After soaking in the experience for a few seconds, she ran back to her kitchen brought me a little pink spoon. Again, I responded, showing her my approval. And this cycle continued a, a few more times as I began to collect all kinds of plastic pieces from her kitchen set all around me. From autumn, for autumn, this gift exercise kept bringing her back to her father. For me, it kept me looking for my child's return. I was moved by the exchange, the interaction, the connection. I was so pleased. The whole experience wasn't about the donut, he says, and believe me, I love donuts, he writes. I said amen to that. If one of her older brothers had brought me a plastic donut, it wouldn't have been the same. Somehow the gift was exactly right coming from her, even if it was just a toy. At that moment, it occurred to me this is how our giving must feel from God's perspective. Our gifts to him are like plastic donuts. God doesn't need them. 
God doesn't need our gifts. God doesn't need our money. But like a father moved by a gift from his child, our gifts can really get his attention. For my daughter, the feedback from our interaction inspired her to give continually. If I had not paid attention to her and expressed my delight, she would have stopped. She was learning about the power of a pleasing gift and learning about connecting with me as her father. Meanwhile, I was learning about God and how to better connect with him as my father. You see, for years, I have thought a lot about the receiver of the gifts I give. You know, my church, my neighbor, the charity that I gave to. I had studied about the benefits not only to the receiver, but I'd studied about the benefits of the giver, my benefits as being a giver, but I hadn't really given much thought to my gift from God's viewpoint. Could it be that I was experiencing through this little plastic donut incident with my daughter some sense of what God experiences when I bring him my gifts? And what about the thrill my daughter received of what God experiences when I gave to him? Or, uh, I'm sorry, and what about the thrill my daughter received when she saw the joy on my face? I had never pictured the act of giving with such delightful reactions. Had I been missing opportunities to connect with God in deeper ways? And then he writes, suddenly I saw giving from a totally different perspective. God is calling this church to a higher level of generosity. In my prayer time and in my time with the Lord, I hear him. I don't hear him audibly but I sense his voice in my heart and I sense his speaking to me about my personal life and I sense him speaking to me about this church. And I am confident as I stand before you here today that God is calling us to a higher level of generosity. Now as I say that, you're probably sitting here, some of you, and thinking about maybe churches you've been involved before, been involved with before, and you're saying, Pastor, I've never been of a, a part of a church that gives to the community and gives to other ministries and gives to other churches the way this church does. Now, um, I'm thankful for what we do, but there are churches that do far more than we do. Um, but I appreciate you saying that or thinking that today. But even in the midst of the generosity we've learned, and can I ask you a question? Haven't we learned as a church over the last few years that every time we're more generous, God is more generous to us. Haven't we learned that? And, and so God is calling us today to a higher level of giving. Now, I know when I say that, some of you reach back there and put your hand over your wallet when I say that. But I'm talking about far more than money. And I want to remind you of something I remind you of almost every Sunday. Before the sermon is to you, the sermon is to me. And God has spoken to me about my generosity. He's revealed some things about me that I don't like. He's revealed some things about me that I didn't know were there when it comes to generosity. And I'm going to let God change me. I'm going to let God 
raise my ability because I don't have the ability. See, my nature is not to be generous. My nature is to serve myself. But God is calling me out of that. And God is helping me by the power of the Holy Spirit to have his heart about generosity, to have his mind about generosity. He's calling me. He's calling my wife and my sons, my family. He's calling you. If you're a part of this church, he's calling your family. He's calling our church as a whole to learn and practice what it means to live a moment-by-moment, day-by-day life of not seeing what we can get, but seeing what we can give. I'm talking about a mindset change. I'm talking about a shift in culture. I've been at this church pastoring uh, you guys for over 22 years, about 22 and a half years now. And I look back over the years and think about the mindset changes we've had to go through (laughs) to get where we are today. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a church that says God will never change the message. The message will never change. It is always the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. We will always preach that here, won't we? And the focus of our worship will always be Christ-centered. But I'm thankful to you for mindsets that were holding us back, that you allowed God to change those things in you. And because of that, God's blessed us greatly. And we're about to move into a new worship center here that's going to seat 1,200 people. And I'm telling you right now, We'll be at 2,000 people very shortly after we go into that building. And I know you say, Pastor, that's a pretty big statement to make. I understand that. But you know what? We keep jumping up to 1,700, but we fall back down because we're 80% capacity in every service we have. We have four services every weekend, and we are 80% capacity. And statistics have proved when that happens, your church will plateau. And I'm going to tell you, we've plateaued in our attendance. We've had a lot of new attendees, but people just are not going to come sit on top of each other. So we believe that when we move into that new building that we're going to see our church go to another level in attendance. And it's not all about numbers, but I tell you what it is about. Those numbers are people. And we're in the people business here at this church. And the church said... So we're, God is calling us uh, to a mindset change. You guys have changed your mindset Many times, some of you have been with me since I came to this church, back when I had hair and a 32-inch waistline. (laughs) I went and visited Miss uh, Rachel Holland yesterday, and uh, we talked about that. I hurt my feelings. She brought it up. But she brought it up about how that I didn't have as much hair as I used to have. As a matter of fact, we had a visitor who came to the bridge uh, in Goldsboro this week and said, when you're bowing your head to pray, you might not want to bow down so far. (laughs) I said, aren't you new here? He said, yes. I said, we'll let you know when we need something from you. (laughs) The Bible tells us it's better to be a giver than a taker. Jesus said... It's better for you to be a giver than a taker. Jesus said, you're going to be blessed more by being a, than a, I mean, Jesus said that. Now, here's why Jesus said that. Because it's true. Because it's true. 
We're called by God to be generous with more than money. We're called by God to be generous with our time. Turn the computer off. Turn the TV off. Turn some things off and connect with people around you. We're called to be more generous with our praise of others and we're called to be more generous with our praise of God. I know it's early service this morning. I'm not a morning person either. I get up in the morning, people start talking to me. I go, do I look like I've had my coffee yet? They go, no, I need you. I said, you need to stop talking. <laughs> you know, I'm not a morning person. But guys, when we walk in here, we ought to think about what God's done for us all through the week, and we ought to walk in here, and this worship team ought not to have to prime the pump. We ought to be ready to praise God when we walk in here on Sunday. I'm tempted to say that again because y'all are like, amen. Walk in with your praise on. Amen. We need to be more generous with our sympathy. People who haven't suffered find it hard to be generous with people who are suffering. You say, well, I can't put myself in their place, but God can help you do that. We need to be more generous with sympathy. We need to be more generous with forgiveness. We need to be more generous with our love. We need to be more generous with our compliments. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to criticize and how hard it is to say something good? You know why? That's our nature. That's that old nature we preached on last, this past summer. We need to be more generous with our kindness, kindnesses. When was the last time you used one of our Just Because cards where you do a ra random act of kindness for somebody and just leave a card that says you just experienced a random act of kindness? Connect with God at the bridge. When's the last time you used a Connect card? We've got we to increase in that. We need to be more generous in our attention when people are trying to communicate with us and be more generous with our listening. Generosity is about living a life of unselfishness. If you decide to live a life of generosity, I want to make you a promise. It will take you to a place in your intimacy with God that prayer won't even get you. It will take your family to a place in their intimacy with God that prayer, fasting, won't even get you. You think prayer and fasting is important? Do we talk about that in this church? Absolutely. But sometimes we go, well, I'm not very generous, but I sure do pray a lot. But you see, until God breaks that, you let the Holy Spirit break that, that selfishness in you and become more generous. It doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you read the Bible. I'm telling you that when you get a breakthrough in this area of generosity, you're going to see yourself go to a nearness with God you've never known before. Our church. There's a Bible where, uh, verse that uh, really talks about this generosity mindset. It is in 2 Corinthians 8 and 12. It says, whatever you give is acceptable. What's the next word? Can we get that verse up there, guys? <laughs> awesome. Whatever you give is acceptable if. If is a big little word. Because it means there's a condition. There's a condition. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it. 
Now let me tell you, if you're one of those people who give, but you don't give eagerly, we will take that. Because money given or service given without eagerness is still helpful. But if you want to be blessed, if you want to be blessed, you have to give, you have to be generous and be eager about it. You say, I ain't there yet. Let God help you. He'll get you there. See, the question is, do you want to be there? Do you want to have such a mindset change, such a, a, a change in the way you think and perceive that you literally can't wait to be generous? You can't wait to be kind. You can't wait to make it about others in your life. I'm preaching to somebody here today. Look at that last sentence. And give according to what you what? Not what you... Man, i got to tell you, that sentence right there is huge because when you talk to people about generosity, generosity, they start telling you what they don't have. And we give out of a position of lack instead of out of a position of, yeah, there's some things I don't have, but there's a lot of things I do have that I can give out of. We're talking about a change, again, in the way we view giving, a change in the way we think about giving and the impact that a spirit of generosity has on those around us, a change in the very culture of this church. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. He said, Jesus is talking about generosity here. He's talking about a lot of other things, but he's talking about generosity. Now, you know that this passage is one of the passages in the Bible that just fascinates me because this person comes up and asks Jesus a question that sounds like a question I would ask Jesus. What's the best commandment? What's the number one commandment? What's the most important commandment? Because I'm going to obey that one. I'm going to let the other nine slide, but I'm going to hit that number one. I mean, that, that's kind of what this guy's looking for, and boy, Jesus. I mean, you expect Jesus to say, oh, they're all the same. They're all the same. All the commandments are equal. But you know what? Jesus doesn't say that. He says, teacher, which, of the most, uh, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus said, it's in Deuteronomy 6, 5. You must love, everybody say this with me. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all of your mind. So that's the most important thing. Because you know what? If you get God in the right spot, everything else falls in place in your life. That's why that's the most important. But then Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment, but there's a second one that's equally important. Love your, as you love, booyah. Leviticus 19, 18. And then Jesus said the entire law in the Old Testament, all of the demands of the prophets of the Old Testament, are based on your obedience to these two commandments. Because if you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself because of your love for God, you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't steal. And you won't covet. And you won't commit adultery. And you won't commit fornication. See, if we'll do the do's, we won't do the don'ts. If I'd have had a pen and a piece of paper and been sitting out there, I'd have wrote that down right there. The sins of omission lead to sins of commission. The, the sins of not doing what we ought to be doing 
leads us to do what we ought not do. As Christians, we understand from what Jesus says here that God has called us, us, we're his kids. We've been saved, we've been sanctified, we've been filled with the Spirit. He's called us then to a different way of thinking than the world thinks. He's called us to a higher standard of living when it comes to our relationship with other people. And here in Matthew 22, and I didn't quote it, but also in Luke 6, you can study that in your own time. Jesus basically says, I want you the bridge, I want you as followers of mine, I want you as my kids, I want you who I have saved and redeemed and I have turned you away from the old life into a new life, I want you to get focused in on what I have done for you and I want that to be the standard by which you treat other people. Jesus is saying the measure or depth of your relationship vertically is revealed by the depth and maturity of your relationships horizontally. That's worth writing down too. The measure or depth of your relationship with God is revealed by the depth and maturity of your relationship to others. I run into a lot of people who talk about their love for God, but boy, are they venomous toward others. The Bible says that doesn't go together. The Bible says if you're right with God, you'll have healthy relationships around you. Now remember this, everything the Bible teaches you to do and everything the Bible teaches you not to do goes directly against your nature. Y'all remember that preaching? But see, God has the supernatural ability and will make it available to you to turn you, turn your mind, turn the way you perceive, turn the way you think. It's not by willpower you become a generous person. It's a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit in your life that turns you from greed to generosity. So serving others is not what we're inclined to do. You know what our nature is? To be served. That's my nature. It's to be served. When I'm sitting on my recliner, laid back, football games on, <laughs> I've got a little thing I've built here. I can just sit a plate right on it. <laughs> and then I realize I forgot my tea. It is my nature to say, Millie! She comes running in there. There's an emergency. I go, yes! What in the world? I need some tea. If you don't give me some tea, I got to take this plate and put it up and pull the lever. Because it is not my nature to serve myself or it is not my nature to serve It is my nature to what? Y'all look real holy out there, but I know you. <laughs> Here's the problem with just serving yourself. If you continue to only serve yourself, one day you will be all by yourself. If you continue to just serve yourself, one day you're going to be all by yourself. The loneliest people I know are selfish people. The, word we, the world we live in 
is all about building your own little castle. The system of that world is about building your own little castle in your own little kingdom, in your own little world, under your own little roof. Let me give you the hillbilly way of saying that. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. <laughs> Isn't that the world system? Get all you can. Step on whoever you got to step on. The... Y'all with me? Get it in the can. Put the lid on it and then sit on it. That is your human nature you inherited from the first Adam. Think about where you work, some of you. Not my staff, but the rest of you. <laughs> Think about the environment some of you work in where everybody's extremely territorial. Everybody looks out for their own self-interest. Don't, don't look at people or point. I mean, you work, some of you work in places where nobody, I mean, they'll smile at you and greet you in the morning, but they wouldn't dare serve you. They wouldn't dare say anything good about you because they don't want you to get a leg up on them. And they, <laughs> you know, leg up on their shoulder. Y'all seen that commercial? Isn't that the funniest thing in the world? They don't, want you to get a, they don't want you to get an advantage, so they will undercut you. That's the system we live in, God. I'm not trying to paint an ugly picture, and I know everybody doesn't work in that every day, but a lot of you do work in that every day. And that's the system. So when you see that, you understand that is the nature of man. So what I'm preaching on today is a mindset change. It's a culture change. What I'm saying to you today is when you see a need, meet it. You walk up on the grounds of this church, you see a need, don't go, it ain't my Sunday. When you walk up on the grounds of the church, and I see this among our people all the time, it won't be their Sunday to volunteer, it won't be their Sunday to serve, but somebody didn't show up, somebody didn't come, and they didn't call. And I'll see somebody step up, and I'll see a guy in there taking his shirt off, putting on a usher shirt. Hopefully he's got on a t-shirt, so I won't get scarred for life. But <laughs> he's putting on an usher shirt. It wasn't his Sunday. But he's ready to step up and give his heart and his hands to the place of greatest demand. When you see a need, just meet it. You walk up, you're getting out of the car, there's a, there's a mom over there trying to unload a bunch of kids and strollers and diaper bags and her husband's been deployed overseas. Don't come on in the church. Send your wife over there to help her. No, you... Might be a good idea to take your wife with you when you go over there to help her. But... You remember Paul and Silas, man, when the, when the jail door fell down and the windows, they didn't run. They stopped right where they were to see if there was somebody who needed Jesus. Somebody who needed an act of love. Somebody who needed to be served. And there was the jailer. And he said what God always says, do thyself no harm. Because the jailer was about to kill himself. He said, do thyself no harm. 
we're here. He fell down at their feet and said, what must I do to be saved? So what's the benefit of me serving somebody, Pastor? I'll tell you what the benefit is. It breaks the control of self-centeredness in your life. Look at this next slide. The best way to deal with greed is what? Let's back up. The best way to deal with greed is? The best way to deal with selfishness is? So when I preach like this, I always get a Facebook message or I get a little email message, and it says, first it just tells me how awesome I am and how spiritual I am. Pastor, that was just, oh, oh, pastor, I needed that word. I needed that word on generosity. Oh, glory. But I wanted to ask you something. How far do we go with this whole thing? I mean, really. I mean, you know, Pastor, there, I've been hurt in church. I mean, I've had some people do some pretty rough things to me, and I think if you heard my story, you would know that I think, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a pass on all this. Well, I tell you what, let's look at what Jesus did. And I know you're out there going right now, I knew he was going to do that. I knew he was going to show us Jesus. This is right at the end of Jesus' ministry. And uh, he's gathered with his 12 closest followers, his disciples, and they're gathered for one final meal together. So there are 13 of them in the room. There's one guy there named Judas. Listen to this now. He's going to betray Jesus, and Jesus knows it. He, hasn't, he actually has already done it, but he's done it privately. It's not made public yet. But Judas is going to betray Jesus, and everybody say this with me, and Jesus knows it. There's another guy there named Peter Hardison. I say that because Peter often had his foot in his mouth rather than on the ground. And I've done the same thing many times. There's a guy there named Peter who's going to what? Deny Jesus. And Jesus, he knows it. He knows it already. Hasn't happened yet, but Jesus knows. You say, but then, Pastor, they're the other ten, and they, they didn't deny him. They didn't betray him. No, all they did was run from him in his darkest hour. All the other ten are going to do is just totally forsake him when he needs them by his side the most. And Jesus, he's got a betrayer, he's got a denier, and he's got ten cowards in the same room, and Jesus. The evening meal was in progress. Look at the scripture. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. As a matter of fact, Judas had already gone to the Pharisees and made his little deal under the table. Look at the first two words of verse 3. What does it say? Jesus knew. But notice what Jesus knew. Not only did he know that he had 12 guys who were just going to abandon him, one betray him, one deny him, 10 run. He knew the Father had put all things under his and that he had come from God and was 
returning to God. Get the picture now and put this situation in your world. What would you do? What would you do if you had your 12 followers that had followed you and heard you and seen the miracles? One's going to betray you. One's going to deny you. Ten are going to run in your darkest hour. And you have all power in your hands. I know what some of you would have done. Dust. So let's look at what Jesus did. For those of you who are looking for an excuse not to serve because somebody hurt your feelings. John 13, 4 through 5. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and unsheathed a six-foot sword and cried out, off with their heads. <laughs> no, no, that's what some of us would have done. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. A betrayer, a denier, and ten cowards. He had all power and all authority in his hands to do whatever he wanted to do. Verse 5, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Would serving have been your reaction? Would serving those 12 men been your reaction? Would it have been mine? Look at John 13, 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table and looked them dead in the eye and asked, Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. I know you're going to betray me and I know you're going to deny me and I know, I mean, the one who denied him is going to say, I'm your biggest fan. I'm your biggest fan. Look, these other 11 may run, but dude, you can count on me. That's Peter talking. I'm your biggest fan. Jesus, right there knowing, the devil's going to sift you, buddy. You're going to betray me, Judas. You're going to deny me, Peter. The rest of you who have talked about how much you love me, when they come get me, you're going to run. So do you understand, Jesus asked, what just happened here? Can you imagine being Judas right then? Knowing what you'd already done, that was already in motion. Must have been a long pause right there. Look what Jesus says in verse 13. <coughs> you call me teacher? Is that a little T on teacher or a capital T? So it's talking about deity. So what he's saying there is, you call me God. You call me God, and you call me, capital L, you call me. And Jesus says, and you're right about that, for that is what I am. I am Messiah. I am your Lord. I am not just a good prophet. I am the God-man, and you've called me that, and you're right to call me that. He says, now hear me. And I'm telling you this morning, he is saying, Pharaoh Hardison, you hear me. And Bridge, you hear me. Now that I, your Lord, 
and teacher have served you. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to serve one another. Wash one another's feet. And then he doesn't leave it. He goes right back to it and nails it down again in verse 15. I have set you what? An example that you should do as I have done for you. Knowing he's going to be betrayed, knowing he's going to be denied, knowing they're going to run when he needs them most, the Lord Jesus Christ served them. And then a few days later, he serves them again by hanging on an old rugged cross for the sin of betrayal and the sin of denial and the sin of cowardness. What was Jesus teaching? Jesus was teaching them this. Listen, when you go into this cold, dark world, you're going to be betrayed, just like I'm going to get betrayed. You're going to be betrayed. He's talking to the bridge. He's talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh Hardis, let me tell you something, buddy. You're going to get betrayed. You're going to get denied. People are going to abandon you when you need them most. And here's what I want you to do, Pharaoh. Here's what I want you to do, Bridge. I want you to love them because when you betrayed me, I loved you. And when you denied me, Pharaoh, I kept loving you. And when you were a coward and you weren't there for me when I needed you the most, Pharaoh, I loved you and served you. So I want you to serve others, not based on what they've done, but I want you to serve others based on what I've done for you. Got an email last week. Said, I'm going to quit. I had a little conflict with somebody in this ministry. and I'm going to quit. So evidently you weren't serving in that ministry for God. You were serving in that ministry for some other reason. Because I want to tell you, I cannot imagine people doing ministry in our church and the various ministries we have and having a conflict. <laughs> I thought we were Christians. I'm being facetious. That's a Barney Fife word. Farrell, I want you to love people because you've betrayed. Farrell. You've betrayed others. You've denied others. You've been a coward. And you've done it to me, Pharaoh, and I didn't stop loving you, and I didn't stop serving you. And what I want you to do, Pharaoh Hardison, is I want you to see their need, and I want you to meet it. I want you to figure out what they need done, and I want you to do it, not because they deserve it, but because of what I, your Lord and Savior, have done for you. So our service comes out of not what people have done that we serve, whether we serve them or not. Our service comes out of what he's done, what he's done for us. When you make that the reason you serve others, you don't whine and complain when people aren't perfect because your ministry comes out of what he's done for you. 
not what they've done for you. So ultimately, why do we volunteer? Why do we get involved? Why do we serve? And look, guys, we're going into this new building, and we were sitting in staff meeting recently, and when we go in this new building, our volunteer base has got to double. It's got to double for us to be able to serve just at the level we're serving and blessing other people right now. You say, well, when is church for me, man? I want church to be for me. Well, why don't you come to one of our other services and then serve in a different service? Because if all you do is serve and you're not in here getting ministry and connecting on a spiritual level, you're going to dry up spiritually. And one day in your service for God, something's going to come out of your mouth that you didn't even know was in you. Because you've been straying away from God. See, serving God doesn't make you intimate with God. I love what Perry Noble said. Perry Noble's a pastor of a little church down in South Carolina, Anderson, South Carolina. He started a little church down there, and they're just trying to get going. They've got about 16,000 now. It's called uh, New Spring. It's multi-site. But I love Perry Noble because he's still from South Carolina. And this is what he said. He said, saved people serve people. And served people get saved. Saved people. If you're really saved, you're going to serve. The Bible talks about dead faith. Bible talks about how your faith is revealed. Your faith is not, your faith and your relationship with Jesus is not based on works, but if you've got a right relationship with Jesus, there are going to be good works coming out of you. Saved people serve people. And served people get saved. I mean, the level of service, the level of how we treat a visitor when they come on these grounds, the the level of um, it not being about us and it being about others. Listen to me, it's got to go up. It's got to go up. You say, but pastor, I think we do it better than just about anybody I know. Yeah, but, but see, our standard isn't other churches. Our standard is Jesus. You love because he loved. You care about people because he cared about you. You give people second chances because he's given you many, many, many second chances. So I've got a three-part challenge for you today. Let's look at it. Three-part challenge we're putting before you today. Challenge number one. If you are not currently volunteering to serve somewhere within the body of Christ called the bridge, and let's say you're from another church, then you put your church name right there where we've got the bridge. You put your church name. Holy Bible Church of God without controversy. Whatever the name of your church is. I actually saw that on a sign. I was like, I'm going to that church. I've been looking for one without controversy. If you are not currently volunteering to serve somewhere within the body of Christ called the bridge, that you will sign up today. And there's a little card in your seat. And um, it's so easy. And when you sign up, here's all you're doing today is you're saying, I'm interested 
I want some more information. I want some more information. So you come over here and give us your name, your email, your phone, and your bank account number right here. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. Your name, email, phone number, and you're interested in serving on Thursday or Saturday because we have services on Thursday, services on Saturday, and two services on Sunday. So you check which time you want to serve, and then you come over here and check the ministries you're interested in. Now, don't check them all. We have some people just check. I'll check them all. No, you are not Superman. <laughs> just check maybe one or two that you're interested in. What's your passion? What do you love? What do you think you might enjoy? Check that. And then as you're leaving today, we'll have people at the exits, and you can't get out until you drop this card in the basket. Okay, so I'm asking you today to come on, man, get on the team. Get down out of the bleachers and get in the game with us. And the people said, Amen. next challenge, on the weekend, first weekend in October, first weekend in October, October 4 is a Thursday, Goldsboro Campus 6 is a Saturday, Goldsboro Campus 7 is a Sunday, this campus on the weekend of October 4, 6, 7, we're going to take up an offering called An Offering Fit for a King. The last time we took up an offering fit for a king was two years ago. You know what we took up that weekend? In, in that one weekend, you know what we took up? $151,000. I believe, and I know economies, I know all about this stuff, but let me tell you about money. There's no less money than there's ever, ever been. It's just pooled in different places, and it's not being released right now because the economy is just terrible. Can I tell you something? God can move money anywhere he wants to. And if he sees you being generous, he just might move some your way. But if he sees you being greedy, he might go, you know, I'm never going to break that in them until I just let them, they just got to see what greedy does for them. But if he sees you being generous in a time when you really feel like your nature's telling you to tighten up, and God's saying, I want you to still be faithful and do what I told you in the Word of God. Over there in Malachi chapter 3, he said, test me, test me, test me. Give me 10% of your income. And um, I mean, that's a pretty good deal right there, isn't it, really? God goes, I'm going to give you all your income. Y'all do know that. You do know that without him causing your heart to beat, causing you to be able to breathe, you couldn't even work. You understand that? So the whole 100% you got in your, all your bank accounts and under your mattress and where jar in the back, you know, whatever. You do understand, he gave that to you. You do understand, he owns 100% of your money. Y'all didn't hear me, because I know you would have said, hallelujah, had you heard me. He owns 100% of your money. Amen. Now here's God's deal. Give me 10% back, not because I need it, because I don't need your money. But give me 10% back, because where your money is, that's where your and I'm going to let you keep 90%. Now, if you'll be faithful to me and giving me just 10% back, one penny, out of one dime out of every dollar. If you'll give me one dime out of every dollar, then I'm going to pour back into you, pressed down, shaken together, flowing over. might not be money, but it'll be something better than money if it's not money. Back into your life. How about a healing? How about a marriage being kept together? How about a... A child being saved. How about something like that? Be, how, how about some great things happening in your life because you were generous?
So on that weekend, I'm asking you who don't tithe to tithe that weekend and see what God does in your life. And if it hurts you to tithe that weekend, you come to me privately. Send me a letter. Send me an email. Send a pigeon with a little thing on his leg. Whatever. And say, Pastor, I did what you said, and it hurt me. I will privately, without any fanfare, never hold it against you. I'll always treat you the same. But I will see that you get a check cut back to you for what you gave. I promise you. Now, here's why we make that promise. Because God don't lie. God don't lie. So on that weekend, we're asking everybody to tithe. He says in Malachi 3, test me. He says, test me on this. So we're going to test him. We're going to ask you to test him. Now, those of you who already tithe, I love you, man. But here's what I want you to do that weekend. I want you to give a special gift that weekend. Millie and I are going to do it. Millie and I write our tithe check every month, first of the month. That's the first thing we do is pay our tithes. But in this weekend, on this weekend, we're going to pay our tithes. Plus, we're going to give a special offering on this weekend because I believe God wants us to break that one $151,000 record that we set two years ago. Y'all with me out there? All right, go to the last challenge. On the weekend of October 11, 12, and 13, we're not going to ask you to give any money that day, okay? Now, we always need the regular giving because that's how the church operates, but we're not going to ask for anything above that day. Here's what we're asking that day. We want you who have not yet done so to make a pledge to what we are calling the Giving Life Fund. Y'all remember this about a year ago? We talked about the Giving Life Fund. Our Giving Life Fund is something that you give above your 10%, above your tithe. And when you give to the Giving Life Fund, it goes for three specific things. Our missionaries. Some of our missionaries are in foreign countries. Some of our missionaries are in other places in the United States of America. And some of our missionaries are right here in our community. So when you give to the Giving Life Fund, we're going to take some of that money and we're going to give it to missions. Keep our missionaries on the field serving. Bread of Life is a ministry in this church that helps people who have been uh, laid off their job. I'll start to say fired. We'll even help people who've been fired. Uh, people who've been laid off their job, people who are struggling in our church family, uh, we will help them through Bread of Life. And then finally, the mortgage payment of our, in our, of our new church is going to about triple of what we're paying now. So we need you to say, you know what, I'm going to just put a little extra in every month because I know our mortgage payment. Now here's what we're counting on. We believe this is going to happen. We're going to get new people that are going to come to our church and start contributing. So that's going to take care of a lot of that extra mortgage payment. But guys, we've got to pitch in on that too for us to be able to be in the new worship center and continue to bless other people as we're blessing them now. You say, boy, you're asking for a lot. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I think that's what leaders do. I think that's what good leaders do is they challenge the people they lead, lead to kick it up a notch from time to time. And let's don't settle, but let's say, God, is there any place in my life I need to be more like you? 
Is there, is there any place in my life I need to let my light shine more than I'm letting it shine? So I bring these challenges to you. It's your church. Now, there's something you need to realize. I'm not going to always be your pastor. I'm 55 years old. I, hey. Man, that was cold right there. That was cold. I know who did that. I've got it. So I'm not going to always be your pastor. Probably another 30, 40 years, I'm out of here. There's somebody else who'll stand here. Somebody else will stand here. Somebody else will be your pastor. But see, those who come behind us have to find us faithful now. I looked at Miss Rachel at the hospital yesterday. I said, Miss Rachel, I'm building on a foundation other men laid. I didn't start this church. This church was started in the early 1900s. I was not here then, contrary to some of you, what y'all think. I'm building on a foundation other men laid. Men like Joe Waters and Lehman Gurley who came before us. So guys, we got to be faithful now so those who come behind us will say they were so faithful back then. And they'll take this church to a whole different place, to a deeper place, to a greater place. If the Lord tarries his coming, we're not even doing anything now. Greater things this church will do after Pharaoh Hardison's dead and gone. But the only way that can happen then is for us to do what we have to do right now. Father, let your word be in us. Challenge us today. Change our hearts, change our culture, change our minds. May the grip of greed be broken as we give. May the grip of selfishness be broken as we serve. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget to fill out your little card. If you'd like to have prayer this morning, we'll have the altar open. People will be here to pray for you. God bless you.